0: We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yarraga and Turbal people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. This land is, and always will be, Aboriginal land.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast was sponsored by Happy Mash. Happy Mash. Closing the orgasm gap one vibrator at a time. welcome to the nasty woman club your go-to platform for all things intersectional feminism or as i like to call it scott morrison's worst nightmare those of you that are new to the show i am your host demi lynch and pretty much the gist of this podcast is that every week myself and a special guest talk about the latest news stories in the world of intersectional feminism from sex to pop culture to social justice issues, we cover it all at the Nasty Woman Club. This week on the show, I have proud Wang Komara Bakingja woman Gabby Epsworth. She is an Aboriginal healthcare worker and Indigenous research and engagement officer. She is on the show today to speak about her experience as a frontline worker during the pandemic and how COVID is causing so many healthcare workers to experience moral and emotional injuries. Also on the show today, Gabby will be sharing with us how slavery impacted her family and the struggle of uncovering her ancestry as an Aboriginal woman. I feel so honoured today to be able to have such a vital conversation with Gabby about these important topics, and I really, really do hope that Our chat today will help you all gain a better understanding of the perspective of healthcare workers and the Stolen Generations. Anyway, on to today's show for the first episode of this season. This is Gabby Ebsworth. Hello, Nasty Woman Club listeners. Today on the podcast, we have the Fabulous! The amazing Gabby Epsworth. Hello, my dear. Thank you for coming on.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You have had a massive week, month. It's been, it's been chaotic. I can assume that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it's been a pretty chaotic. It's been pretty chaotic ever since you know, like March 2020. <laughs> it hasn't ever really stopped yeah that date is triggering definitely for everyone but for <laughs> you as
0: a healthcare worker oh my goodness so we are going to get right into it we are going to talk about your experience as a healthcare worker and I have a lot a lot of questions and obviously if any questions is too triggering because obviously like I can't even imagine like this the things that you've experienced that no one can ever fathom so let me know if any questions you don't want to answer anything like that so I have to ask How has things changed in the healthcare system like recently, like say in the past month compared to what it was like say like mid last year, because I'm just seeing more and more stories about how it's been this past couple of weeks. Things are just, they're
1: going crazy right now in hospitals. It's so interesting that um, right now makes me nostalgic for 2020. Um, (laughs) It's, it's just gotten so out of hand. And I think the, the biggest thing that we've seen is because COVID is just going through the communities and we are really grateful that people are vaccinated and they're, they're getting through COVID safely. We have no workers, we've got absolutely no staff. Um, probably, you know, there's a lot of moral injury that's happening at the moment for frontline workers in that we're being made to come in to work even when we're isolating um, in some places if you're COVID positive and asymptomatic. You can still come to work. Um, you're just made to, you know, wear PPE all the time and not eat with other people and basically be a leper at work. And that's just the hardest thing is that people are having to choose between being safe and practicing what we preach, but also supporting themselves and their families. Um, you know, if you're out of sick leave, you don't have a choice but to come into work when, you know, you might have children at home or you know, actually being at home is the safest option for anyone who should be isolating. But um, so that's just been incredibly hard to deal with um, and that moral injury. And and it's especially true, you know, the morale of staff is, is getting lower and it's taking quite a hit. Um, so it's hard to be in a hospital right now around all that tension. Yeah.
0: And before we were starting to record, you were speaking about how – there's just normal normally like you know if something was to happen very stressful to a worker in a certain work environment you know like the company really really should like have extra incentives to take care of them like you know provide extra therapy and stuff like that but what have they provide extra for all of you for all your incredible hard work that is causing years of ptsd what are they providing
1: yeah you know, not really much that wasn't there before the pandemic. We, you know, hospitals um, and a lot of organisations have always had employee assistance programs. Um, but apart from government-run incentives, which healthcare workers aren't always eligible for because of income brackets, um, there's not a lot going on. And there's there's not really this idea that um, the moral and the emotional injury that we're facing is an injury and that it's something that um, needs to be treated um, in a responsible manner. You know, if I was going to go into work and I was assaulted by a patient, I would get work cover and I'd get time off and there would be an investigation into what's happening. But despite, you know, getting diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression after working on the frontline for two years, it's not an injury. It's like, oh, I'm really sorry that's happened to you, but there's nothing we can do about it. And I, you know, I didn't even work in the ICU full time or the emergency department full time. There are people who are coming out of frontline work with, serious diagnoses of ptsd um and anxiety and depression and it's it's not being addressed in the way it should be yeah
0: and i can also imagine that because you yourself you have a history of mental health issues particularly with depression how is that affecting you because obviously you have to be wary of certain triggers like what events could happen at work could be triggering for you how do you cope with that because when it is somewhere like a hospital like with you know it being overflowed with so many people having to be hospitalized with COVID like how do you manage not over triggering yourself
1: the hardest thing is just struggling with depression for such a length of time you know I felt like I was in a really great space coming out of 2019 and into 2020 and then it was like oh here we go again like you know, it actually, I, I did pretty well throughout 2020. It was more towards the end of 2020 and start of 2021 that it came back. But it's just so tiring, struggling with mental illness. I think that's what people don't realise is just like how incredibly draining it is to constantly have to feel like this. Mm. Um, and especially then to, you know, working in social work, um, you know, trying to support myself, but having to support my patients and other people as well at the same time. Mm. Um and even just, you know, um, you know, having patients come in for mental health issues and trying to fill their cup and to support them and then just realising that there's nothing left for me at the end of the day. Mm-hmm.
0: You've probably definitely noticed this shift, but I've noticed that at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was... I don't want to say everyone was joyful, what's the correct word? That everyone was just very thankful towards the frontline workers. You know, you'd see these signs on buildings being like, we love you um, frontline workers. We love your healthcare workers. Like people were healthcare so- Healthcare heroes. Yeah, <laughs> like you like you guys were here, like you guys were portrayed, because, rightfully portrayed as heroes because you are heroes. Like I just, from someone that's out, outside of that world, I can see that there's just been such a shift in how people, view frontline workers have you noticed that shift?
1: Yeah I think the shift definitely started coming in around the time vaccinations came in yeah and it was we love you we're so glad for everything you do for us and then the vaccinations came in it was like but don't tell us what to do don't you dare use your knowledge and education um, and the skills that you're paid to provide to our communities and you know then it was very much every man for himself like what you're getting paid to promote xyz or to do this or to lie about everything I was like I wish I was getting paid more money than I actually am I don't think you understand how dire it is um and it yeah and then it was just everyone went from this really great group mentality of we're all in this together to just this really selfish like well if you get COVID that's not my problem
0: (laughs) it's just horrible how much it has shifted like that because that was one of the out of ever all the bad stuff to happen with the, this pandemic, that was one of the good things to happen. Like everyone just coming together and now it just seems so divided is particularly with the whole fact of the anti-vaxxers. And I have to ask what, how, how do you handle that? Because one minute, one moment you're dealing with people that are sick with
1: COVID and the next you're dealing with anti-vaxxers, how, how do you handle that? Honestly? I'm, um, I'm unfortunately someone who has a pretty short fuse. So I do have to, um I do have to bondage myself a little bit because it's so frustrating. It's so incredibly yeah. frustrating to watch people die and then to have people say, well, I'm not going to put that in my body. It's like, you do drugs, you drink, you smoke a pack of cigarettes a day. Um, You know, the least you could do is follow the public health advice and I guess it's all about, and this is, I think, when you educate people in general, when it, it's all about where I place the value and the energy and coming also too from a politics in a health background, we talk about people on a scale of one to five and, you know, you've got your ones who are your fierce and loyal supporters, you don't really have to do anything to keep them on your side, and then you've got your fives who you don't even really bother because you could put all the time and energy into them and they're still not going to hear your side of the story. Mm. Um so, you know, I don't argue with people who don't and who aren't going to listen to me. Um, I could get paid for that. I'm not going to do it for free. Um, when it comes to my patients, I educate them because that's my job. I provide them with public health advice. When it comes to my friends and family, I am not friends with anyone who's an anti-vaxxer anyway. And, B, for family who have concerns, I approach them with kindness and care and respect because they're my family. But if a stranger comes up to me on the street and wants to talk anti-vax nonsense, I'm going to walk away because if I don't, it's not going to be pretty um, because people are just so incredibly selfish and stupid. Yep. Um, and it just and seems- mm. you don't even have to, like, it's just wasting your time. It really is.
0: Yeah, and it just seems like people are just—they don't care if they're right or wrong. They just want to make sure that you know you're wrong. That you know, oh, you're mm-hmm. crazy, you're a sheep for following the government. All this kind of stuff. <laughs> like they don't care about the facts of anything. They just—they just love to be like, oh, you're wrong. You don't know everything. Mm-hmm. How you don't yeah. know all the ingredients in a vaccine. Just.
1: <laughs> oh. And it's, um, it's especially really interesting to um, being an Aboriginal woman. You know, you get people who say. Our mob, we didn't need vaccines like we did traditional healing and I always support traditional healing. I think mm-hmm. that um, being on country and bush medicine is incredible. But we didn't need vaccines because we didn't have smallpox. We didn't have polio. Um, we lived a really great protected life prior to colonisation. Mm-hmm. But now that these modern problems are here, they do require modern solutions. Um, and as much as I would love, love to think that natural remedies could heal everything... You know we 've got to look at the facts, and we know that the the safest way to protect yourself is getting vaccinated with the support of traditional healing methods and keeping yourself healthy and and safe
0: yeah, absolutely
1: I think that's the big thing is people don't realize it 's not either or it's all together
0: now, I need to get your thoughts on a several people. I think the first one is <laughs> the person that we all. Very, very cranky about right now, and I would love to get your thoughts as a healthcare worker that is hearing all, all the media outlets focusing their attention on a particular tennis player, and that is Novak Djokovic, who somehow has just become the biggest celebrity in Australia right now. Meanwhile, healthcare workers are suffering, refugees are suffering, everyone's suffering, but yet, no, he's. He's struggling. He's really struggling. He's struggling. Yeah. It's really He's hard for him. Struggling so hard, um, yes.
1: I so can't hard. believe I've been complaining about working <laughs> in public health when Novak had to spend, what was it, like four days in I mean. a really lovely hotel oh. <laughs> because oh, his be private so paid lawyers didn't do their due diligence on his visa. <laughs> oh, that's oh. so really hard for him. And to be paid I, I really, millions of
0: dollars to play a tennis game. Oh, so hard. So difficult. What I mean, that's millions thoughts? of dollars that
1: could have been spent on rats, but sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm. I I thought it was just, I thought it was the most, the just the biggest slap in the face to anyone that's worked in healthcare or frontline work throughout I think it was a fuss slap in the face to all Australians really after everything that we've done and especially true because the Australian Open is in Melbourne
0: mm-hmm. for a city
1: that went through six lockdowns. Um that you know we had our community members suffering with no help. And for this big shot tennis player to come in, it really just says like that the government doesn't give a shit about us. They care about who's coming in and who's making the money. Yeah, that's um, all I care about and that if you've got money you're completely above the law i was naively hopeful that when he got detained after his visa was declined that we would actually see some sort of justice (laughs) um and then my i got let down once again yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's it that you know at least the government is good at something letting us down they are great
1: at continuously letting us down
0: and speaking of government and their failures and the frustrations we have we gotta talk about ScoMo, my dear. We gotta talk about ScoMo. Mm-hmm. And what a fucking shitstorm with the rats, with the, like, I'm, as someone that works in news media, I try to keep up. And even I am struggling. Like, one minute he's saying, like, oh, yeah. Um, if you think you got COVID, you only have to take a rat test and you don't have to go to a, get a PCR test. Like you just got to take that, but you don't have to report it because hospitalizations only matter. And then next been the New South Wales government is just like, no, if you don't report, you'll get
1: fined. It just, it just, just. <laughs> Who's <what>? pleasing that? <laughs> oh my God. The- I just, I think the biggest thing, and it was so, in- like, so hard to deal with is that We were promised so much at the start of the pandemic. We were promised new hospitals, more ICU beds. We were promised, you know, brand new facilities and all these extra staff. And they never followed through because they lived in this fantasy world that we're going to beat COVID and it's never going to be a problem because we're going to get to COVID zero. But they also live in this world where they actually don't have to follow through on their promises. They don't see themselves as being held responsible by their constituents. Um, And so even if they did think that COVID wasn't going to take off, they still should have done all that because that's what they said and that's where the money was going. And so we're now two years into this pandemic. We've got no extra hospital beds. We've got no ICU beds. We've got no staff. Um, You know, none of our, our student nurses or doctors graduated on time because of how the pandemic affected them. So we're going to be continuously understaffed for a few years. And for what? like this all could have been avoided you know we could have had you know quarantine facilities and um, all of this and now you know I remember when what they were had they talked about in the hospitals turning operating theaters into makeshift wards because that's how bad we thought it was going to be and that's how bad it still could be that we were literally looking at war hospitals Mm. and it's just like it's a shit show there's no other words to describe what's happening and I guess just the biggest thing is that I hope you know, when it comes election time, that people remember what the government has done or more so what they haven't done and that people know how to vote, they know why their vote matters and they use it accordingly. Um, you know, I used to work in health politics and policy and voting is extremely important to me and it, it really upsets me to think that people don't vote or their donkey vote because they think their voice doesn't matter when it does. Um, we're very lucky to live in a country where we have a somewhat... Um, you know, a somewhat working democracy, like your voice actually is heard no matter what, um, as opposed to other countries that you know run on first past the post voting. Um, so I, I really hope that people just ta- start taking matters <laughs> into their own hands and realizing that we actually have the opportunity to vote these idiots out next year.
0: Yeah, exactly. I really, really hope that people remember it and. I think oh, I've, my, my partner told me this theory it was this theory about like it was, it was uh, happening with Trump and if Trump was to do say one bad thing we would remember it we would notice it but if it's a lot of bad things it just turns into like a bed of nails we don't we don't really remember all the little things to add up to it and I feel like that's happening with Scott Morrison now I feel like he has said and he has done such bullshit things and not just with
1: COVID with so many the different things. The his fires his holiday to hawaii my <laughs> also the natives have told us to stop going to hawaii scott like you got to listen to them
0: oh my god and then there's comments about oh my god was it the, his comments about the first fleet and saying like oh they, were, <laughs> they weren't having such a good day either you know it they wasn't was a struggling. flash day for them yes. remember
1: oh my god <laughs> you know what Scott there's this crazy thing you should look up it's not too flashy that it's called racism (laughs) um it's actually been going on for like 200 years (laughs) yeah yeah
0: he needs to do some research there I think like if he thinks he's such a smart ass, like so good at everything like maybe maybe research that I think think that might be good coming up election time yeah we'll be back in just a moment but first I want to talk to you all about today's sponsor Happy Mash In today's economy, it's vital that we support small businesses. I don't know about you, but I would much rather spend my hard-earned money on brands I trust, rather than just some overseas corporation run by some faceless millionaire. For almost a year now, I've been partnering off with lady startup Happy Mash. Not just because their sex toys continue to deliver exceptional orgasms. But honestly, the main reason is I just love the idea of supporting a brand, supporting a founder like Anna Walsh that shares my values and beliefs and the values and beliefs at Nasty Woman Club. Anna has used her business platform at Happy Mash to share her passions for sexual empowerment, intersectional feminism and closing the orgasm gap. I mean, why wouldn't I support such a badass brand? Why wouldn't I buy her fabulous sex toys, knowing the passion and love behind them? So, do yourself a favour, everyone. Get on to Happy Mash. Get your hands on their sex toys. And don't forget to use the code NASTYWOMAN20 at checkout, and you'll receive a 20% discount on all sex toys in store. Happy Mash. Closing the orgasm gap, one vibrator at a time. Now, back to today's show so the second topic i really want to talk to you about today we previously spoke about this um through instagram messenger and this is when i was just like I-, I need you on i need you on this podcast to talk about this in a sentence it's literally about privilege of knowing your history about knowing your ancestry and i feel like so many people and especially white people we are so privileged because majority of us do know our history and our ancestry whereas for first nations people, it's a, a, a complete and utter mess and and tiresome trying to find out like where where you come from and that is just no one deserves that no one should ever have to experience that and I really would love to be able to sh- I really would love for you to share your story about you uncovering your ancestry about your family's history because you uncovered some really horrific things didn't you
1: yeah so um I'm really grateful that my aunt has been a big historian for our family. She's been really motivated to, to figure out where we came from in our family history because um, it is really hard. So I, my dad's side of the family is white from New Zealand and from Ireland. Um, and yeah, have always known where we came from. We've literally got like photos of um My dad's side of the family like sitting up in like these big frilly, like really colonial, (laughs) like first fleet vibes. Like we have photos that go back that far. (laughs) And that was also a really weird juxtaposition as an Aboriginal person to know that half my family was like first fleet vibes, and then the other half was on a mission. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Um, so my aunt, she did a lot of history and a lot of um recovery of our ancestry and like we always knew where we came from but we didn't know the specifics and um our the Wonkamara side of our family came from a town called Inamika in south australia and that was where my pop um was born martin and where my uncle cecil was born and cecil um became quite well known for recording our language mm-hmm. before he passed away mm-hmm. and so we're really lucky that even though it's functionally extinct it is recorded um, in the National Archives and we have access to that um, and what actually happened was that they moved from Inamika to a town called uh in sort of bottom corner of Queensland north New South Wales and then this wasn't very long ago either this was like the 30s the 1930s so you know almost um, 100 years ago now if my math is correct <laughs> and um, what actually happened was that there was just this, from the reports, there was this one person, this one white person in the town, constantly putting in reports against my family, um, to the point where when the Aborigines Protection Act came into being, um, our entire family was moved out of Tipperara on the back of a truck at gunpoint um, to the Mission in Breewarrina, so they herded up the entire clan. Off the river in Tipperara, and moved removed them against their will um, into briwarana and that's where a lot of my family still is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, over the years, our family sort of naturally dispersed to other towns. My nan she um, grew up in Wollcanyah. She spent a lot of time in Wollcanyah, and it's really interesting that we didn't have a lot of whole lot of history on my nan. But um, when she was older, she could, became um, quite ill and she had dementia and she came to live with us and there was actually a lot that came out when she had those moments of clarity that people who have dementia um, get or she would like wake up in the morning we'd be eating breakfast and we'd be like oh and then how'd you sleep last night and she was like I didn't sleep real good eh like I was real scared the policeman was going to come find me and get me and we would be like what's she talking about? Like there were no police on our street last night. And we'd realised that she was actually getting these um, flashbacks to when she was younger and they used to have to hide from the police um, in Waukenya. And she would talk about having to hide under beds. They used to climb up trees um, and hide in trees when the policemen came around so that they wouldn't get found. Um, and then she actually lived as um, she went and, you know, prayed as a man and lived as a jackaroo, so herding cattle. Um, and working on cattle farms and droving for a lot of her life. Um, so she, you know, she got to travel a bit um, through that and she, you know, lived this really, this really crazy life. Um, and then one of the things we came across when we were trying to uncover some other family records was um, why it's so hard to find family records. And that was that when we were looking for the, the birth records um, of a family member we we couldn't find it anywhere we looked in birth deaths and marriages we looked through all the birth records for the year and you know the five years previous and we had no success and then one of the ladies at the historical museum she said this is really hard to say um, and she was like don't get angry but one place you might want to check is the birth records for, for catalogs because a lot of Aboriginal people were logged as livestock because prior to the referendum, you know, we weren't recognised as people, we were recognised as flora and fauna. And so we found family members' records that were literally logged as cattle. And it's just, it's so incredibly inhumane to think that that's how people were treated and that it wasn't even that long ago. Like this was people who were alive up until, you know, 2005, 2010, when my nan passed, um it's just it's really hard to think about and it also it's it hurts a lot too for knowing that there's so many people out there that don't know their family history because of things like this and because of how we've treated people in the past
0: yeah yeah it's just so inhumane and disgusting that that could happen and what's so messed up about it is when you told me this I had no idea about that at all and to be honest, then this obviously is my privilege talking, I have not really thought much about my ancestry. And obviously that's a lot of privilege there because for the First Nations people, knowing your background, your history, your ancestry is so, so important. And to find out that members of your family were seen as cat- like labeled as cattle, livestock, that's,
1: mm-hmm. it's just crazy, just cr- like- and then even, like, figuring out where our last name came from mm. um, because, you know, I was like, oh, Ebsworth, that's a pretty weird last name. And I Googled the meaning and you have the meaning. But then one of my uncles was talking to me about um, why, how we actually ended up with that name because I knew that people would sometimes just choose names that they saw. But more often than not, Aboriginal people with, um, with English names, it was because you were owned by whoever owned the property And you would automatically adopt their name. Um, And so, you know, my family members, our last name's Ebsworth because the slave owner said, that's my last name, so it's your last name too. Um, So it's it's always a weird juxtaposition to having this Pride in who you are and your last name, and you know this is how I connect to my family and to to mobile across New South Wales and Queensland. But then also knowing that even the way that we connect with each other and knowing that our last names are mm. still so heavily colon- like like rooted in colonial violence,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, like I'm. I'm really proud to be an Ebsworth and to know that I have family all across the state. But then to think that like this name that I have such pride for is is rooted in colonial violence and you know comes from the the slave history in Australia that no one wants to talk about. Yeah.
0: How do you then with you have one side of the family that has that history, and then you have the other side, which is the evil horrible bad side of the history like how like it's just such a juxtaposition pretty much of your two families like how how do you cope with that like knowing the history of the two sides of the family are just so different and what the people on your father's side the family like in years years and years ago like decades generations ago what they would have been like
1: Mm. I think it's, um I take solace in knowing that most of our family were were lawyers and teachers. So hopefully there were no slaves owned on that side of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of looking back at my, my most recent generations, our family, you know, were, were teachers and truck drivers um, and didn't have any ill history. But I think the biggest juxtaposition is just how different people's lives can be mm-hmm. um, in that you know, my family probably came across from New Zealand on a really nice ship um, and, you know, they had these really nice gowns and the big frilly necklines um, and the girls went to school and the boys went to private school. And then the same year that all that was happening, my family was being moved off, a mission, off onto a mission at gunpoint. I think it's just incredibly interesting how the world works in that sense. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's anything that I grapple with I think it's just something that it's just it's wild it is so wild that two sides of my family and my history can have completely different lives.
0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. To finish off today's podcast episode, which I have to say, I'm really enjoying just hearing your stories and hearing your perspectives as a First Nation woman and also as a healthcare worker, really appreciating everything. To finish off today's episode, every single week what I do with my guests, we share our highlights and lowlights of the week to have a bit of debrief, but we finish on a positive note with our highlight. So, let's start off with the lowlights. My dear, I I know there's probably a lot to choose from. <laughs> I know there's a lot to choose from, but what has been your lowlight for this past week?
1: Mm. I think my low light for this past week has been seeing the selfishness of some of the people going around right now. I think that's really hard to see.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you seen anything about the, speaking of selfish people, uh, the COVID parties?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So selfish and so ill-informed. Like COVID's not like the chicken pox. You don't get natural immunity. (laughs) No. <laughs> like chicken pox parties chicken pox parties are crazy but they work like mm. we do know this so once you get chicken pox you don't get it again COVID it's not the same thing we know people get COVID multiple times and I really hope this idea that if you get COVID you can't get it again for six months works I really do hope that's the the case but it, there's not enough science around it for people to be going and throwing COVID parties <laughs> you know, um uh. and it is like, what do they do? Like, are they, is there food? Like, is there cake? Like, do they go around <laughs> kissing each other? Like, do they cough in <laughs> each other's
0: mouths? It just sounds like I, maybe it's just their excuse to have an orgy or something. That's maybe.
1: what I literally <laughs> think. Oh, this is starting to sound very much like some sort of sex club.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> not, yeah just, kick
1: shame in, not kick shaming, not kick shaming, but no, no, I, no. I just don't think COVID's a kink.
0: No, no. <laughs> oh my god that could be like the title of the podcast COVID is not a kink guys it's not stop trying to use it to cover your orgies There's nothing nothing shameful about orgies so quit bringing COVID into That's this not. the poor people at the sex clubs now they're getting a bad name um yes so yeah that is definitely unsurprising then that 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 is definitely your low light of the week because I get very angry seeing all the news stories about all these stuff. I think it's a pretty universal, I think it's a pretty
1: universal though.
0: Yeah. It's a pretty universal hatred. Yes. Well, for my highlight of the week, it is somehow not COVID related, but it is related to my car. I love my car. I call it blue balls because it's blue and and it has wheels and yep and sadly it's decided to die this week it's gearbox decided to r.i.p blue balls I- r.i.p blue balls yes mm-hmm. yeah it decided to malfunction when i was going up a hill i was like pressing the accelerator and i was like only going like 10 kilometers and there was this horrible burning smell and yeah so yeah, and the people, I do not know anything about cars. Nothing at all. All I know is that, like, that's a pretty colour, or well, that's a pretty colour. That's all I know. But apparently gearboxes <laughs> are expensive. So that's <laughs> that's not great. That's not great to have to spend money on a gearbox.
1: No, definitely not. RP blue balls. RRP you need a blue, blue balls 2.0 now. I
0: do. I do you <laughs> do need to yes. I do need that, yes. So my dear. Okay, we've got to finish on a positive light now. What has been, oh my God, is that your fur babies? Yes. That's my fur babies
1: in the background.
0: (laughs) Yes. Mine's just like passed out next to me. I'm surprised she hasn't barked yet.
1: Yeah, ours aren't that polite.
0: Ah. (laughs) What has been your highlight of the week? What has been the positive part of this week?
1: Positive part of this week. I think the most positive part of this week has been the support of my friends.
0: Yeah.
1: Um... I had a really great conversation with my friend, Rach, who's an artist she does, um, Sarah, on Instagram. Uh, and oh, yes,
0: yes. Oh, sorry, i got to interrupt. Incredibly people, talented. People that aren't following Sarah, I'll put the, um, her tag, follow her immediately. Yes,
1: yes. she is amazing. <laughs> yes. Um, and just being surrounded by my friends who have such kind and caring and just this gorgeous spirit and energy to them, um, I think can get you through just about anything. Um, And then also my crazy dogs as well. Love them. (laughs) They're always a highlight. Um, The big highlight from them this week is realising how much we've spoiled them. We recently moved to a two-storey house. There's only air conditioning on the bottom story. Um, And these little princesses have decided that, we were like, I think I was like making something in my room the other day, and I had them both upstairs with me, and they kept going downstairs because they were like, "There's no air conditioning here. <laughs> we're not going to put up with this. We can't live in these conditions." Um, and so they would come downstairs because they're so spoiled; they can't live without air conditioning now.
0: Oh, bless them! Oh, they're spoiled. Wait, wait, you live in Melbourne and your dogs yep. are complaining about the heat i live in brisbane yep. they would not be able to survive brisbane <laughs> they would not survive. oh my goodness no imagine then they would be so precious being like oh no it's above 30 degrees no
1: <laughs> it's so interesting people always look at working dogs and they're like oh like i really hope they get to live a good life like it's so sad they're always working my dog has a 200 dog bed this <laughs> she has a 200 is more expensive than my own bed <laughs> She, you know, they get, like, high-quality treats, you know. I made yeah. her a cake for her birthday. For her second birthday, we bought a cake from a pet bakery. Working dogs are not overworked. If anything, they're too spoiled. Uh, yeah, when people say, like, oh, it's really sad, $200 <laughs> dog bed. That's all I've got to say. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. They, they have good employers. I know that might seem crazy that employers are actually good people <laughs> and provide They've decent got unions. They have, unions <laughs> they have extra, tri- extra special treatment. Good Every hours. time we
1: go to Kmart or to a pet store, they get to pick out a new toy every single, every single time we spend so much money on these
0: dogs (laughs) oh you would get employer of the year then my dear (laughs) I would hope so uh well funnily enough my my highlight of the week is involving my dog as well she turned 15 this week and I'm just oh, she's just my little fur baby I love her she's passed out right now but uh I love her she's she should be and I felt very smug because just the other day my neighbor said oh what food do you feed her if she's 15 like I need to know what food you feed her because she's always so bouncy and exciting like a puppy I'm just like oh yeah yeah so I'm just that good of a dog owner I feel so smug even though my mom like took care of her most most of her life but I feel smug <laughs> still I want to own it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah she must be a gorgeous gorgeous dog
0: yeah she's beautiful she's a little West Highland Terrier and she has all the energy in the world and I think for people out there listening, wondering what the secret is to a dog that lives a long, healthy life, I think the thing is humping. She humps so <laughs> goddamn much. Like she's Little got a- She's Oh my God, I'm downstairs in the lounge room and I just hear this banging upstairs and she's like fucked the bed all the way down the stairs and she's
1: 15, so. <laughs> we um, in our house, it's like as soon as it gets six o'clock. And- they just turn into horny little monsters and they hump these beds. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> the craziest thing was when we found out that girl dogs actually hump more than boy dogs, because at first we had no clue what was happening. Mm-hmm. And our puppy trainer said, no, the girls usually do it more often than the boys. hmm
0: Yeah, Girl, Man, girls- these girls go- are they're 42. having a hot girl summer. Pop hot girl summer. summer. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Well, even though I could probably talk to you more about our horny dogs, <laughs> <laughs> I do have to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really, really do appreciate you. Take out the time in your very, very busy, crazy work environment, work days right now. So just big thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being on this.
0: Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to today's chat with Gabby Epsworth. I must admit it feels so great to be back in the podcast chair, back interviewing people and to be back in your ears after a much needed break. I do love the Nasty Woman Club Instagram page but getting to interview so many incredible people about topics they're passionate about, learning about so many different things about the world of intersectional feminism like honestly nothing gets better than that i just i love my job this is it's moments like this i really do this thing yeah this is my job this is my thing but anyway if you are new to the pod make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast and also make sure you do follow us on instagram for more stories and conversations about the world of sexual feminism anyway i will see you all next week for another episode of the nasty woman club podcast I'm your host, Demi Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone. This podcast was sponsored by Happy Mash. Happy Mash. Closing the orgasm gap one vibrator at a time. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yarraga and Turbal people whose sovereignty was never ceded. This land is, and always will be, Aboriginal land.